Woi woi, woi woi, woi woi. Then it then go on the radio again. Yo, if you wanna smoke free weed, go board yourself. You need to go plant a seed. Go board yourself, make your knowledge increase. Go board yourself, go board yourself. Hey, all right. Welcome to episode number 19 of Grow Bud Yourself. We've got a great show for you guys. We have adult film superstar Sarah J. Uh, we have Mikey Steinmetz from Flow Canna, California Cannabis Company. And our Grow section with Emulsifying Neem Oil, Strain of the Fortnite, and Grow Q&A. Stick around. Episode number 19 brought to you by Excelsior Extracts. All right. Welcome back. As always, thank you to DJ Jacques and Winstrong for the tune. Uh, this is Grow Bud Yourself, episode number 19. I am Danny Denko. He is Mike G, and we are here to teach you how to grow pot. Yes, we are indeed. <laughs> Welcome to episode 19. Yeah, things are, are going great. Our first issue of Northeast Leaf is actually printing, I believe, you know, either as we speak or right around you know today or yesterday or the day before so uh that's also very exciting it's our premiere issue uh september 2020 northeast leaf uh we've got a beautiful cover uh, a lot of great articles in there and uh that's going to become a collector's item so if you're in the northeast and you see one you know pick it up put it away read it enjoy it uh but again uh it's there's only one one chance you get to do a first issue and I think uh, people are going to enjoy it, and I hope uh, I hope they support it and follow all our social media, Northeast Leaf Magazine, uh, in all the socials. And yeah, that, that'll that- be available any day now. But if you're not in the Northeast and you're still interested in what's going on, you can subscribe to that magazine, right? I believe so. I mean, for now, I think you have to uh, just contact us through uh, neleafmag.com. There's a form there that you can fill out that uh, will get you on our email list for subscriptions. So, uh, But subscriptions cost money. The magazine itself is free. So if you happen to be in, in New England or in the tri-state area, you can pick it up uh, at your local dispensary, um, you know, upscale glass uh, head shops and places like that. Uh, CBD stores, wherever, you know, we can get it, basically, wherever we can get it, uh, hopefully doctor's offices, places like that, uh, independent bookstores. Um, but we printed 20,000 copies, and they're all going out uh, to the public, so we hope you enjoy it. Absolutely, yeah. So, um, that's coming any day now. We're excited about that. Um, and we're also excited about uh, the, both of the interviews that we have in this episode of Grow Bud Yourself, the first being with uh, Sarah J. Yes. I think it might be the first time that we've had an adult film uh, actress on the show. I can't recall ever in the past, but uh, um, she's been around for many years now. Uh, she is a veteran uh, of the industry and also uh, in the AVN Hall of Fame uh, and has a CBD line uh, of very interesting products that we talk about uh, with uh, Miss Sarah Jane. She's been a, a, a cannabis supporter for many years um, outside of just the CBD aspects of it, just, you know, with, with smoking and, and consumption. And I think, uh, yeah, we're excited to be talking to her about uh, her career and about her new CBD line. All right. So, yeah, why don't we, uh, why don't we jump into this interview with, uh, with Sarah J? Let's do it. 
All right, we are back and we have a special treat for uh, you listeners today. We have uh, an adult film actress, a, uh, a veteran of the adult film industry who was nominated for an AVN uh, uh, in the Hall of Fame in 2017. Is that correct? Miss Sarah J. Miss Sarah J., adult film actress extraordinaire, and now uh, in the CBD industry as well. So welcome, welcome to the podcast, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here. <laughs> I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Um, tell me a little bit about um, your experience with cannabis and just how how uh, how you got interested in in cannabis and CBD in general. Um. Well, I you know I've always I've always smoked cannabis always since uh, probably. I was very underage, you know, I think I might have been like 12 years old and um, I've always had a love affair with it. And as I got older, um, you know, it just, it, I, I always liked, I like growing and gardening and I had a uh, fruit and vegetable garden outside and I was like, let me, let me try my hand at this. And so um, I ended up learning how to grow weed by going up to Northern Cal when the rest of the country was completely illegal in every kind of way. And um, I would go up to Northern Cal and I would learn how to grow. And then in between my trips to Northern Cal and during harvest season, I would read articles and books by you and um, Rosenthal. And I would read all my High Times articles and stuff. So it's quite an honor to be here. I'm quite a fan. (laughs) I appreciate it. That's awesome. Yeah, that's great. Um, And uh, it's interesting because uh, you've had a lot of longevity in uh, the adult film industry. And I think, you know, do you think cannabis played any role in that? Because it seems like, uh, you know, there's a lot of people who jump in and out uh, pretty quickly uh, or get burned out just by the, uh, you know, the the industry itself uh, and maybe some uh, harder drug use and things like that. What are your experiences as far as, you know, longevity in adult films? Um, You know, I, I can't say how it directly affected my career, but I can say how cannabis has affected my life. I've been plagued with anxiety my entire life. I used to get sick when I was in grade school just for making myself like so nervous all the time and um, get a little emotional. Sorry. But no, like cannabis really did make a huge difference in my life. Um, I like until I got to high school when I really started smoking on a regular basis and using cannabis and edibles and everything. I, um, of course, we always use it recreationally with our friends and stuff, but I really started using it like at night to sleep for my insomnia and then like for my anxiety. I have a lot of, um, even though I'm in the spotlight and I have to make appearances and I have to do crowds, I have a lot of like people anxiety around crowds and stuff too. And so cannabis has helped me over the years really um, be able to manage that and like calm down before an event and kind of like take a deep breath and just really um, relax. And I have always appreciated all the benefits that I've gotten from cannabis. But then when we started to be able to pull CBD out of cannabis, I really valued that as well, because sometimes I don't always want to be high. (laughs) You know, sometimes I just want to get some of those calming benefits and this, you know, benefits of insomnia, you know, relieving my insomnia without necessarily being high. So, um, 
once CBD started to be extracted and we started to be able to get products and use that on a more frequent basis, uh, I turned my attention a little bit more towards that because, um, you know, as we get older, we have, especially in the time of COVID, sometimes we have to worry about our lungs and our health and maybe smoking is not the best answer and there's other ways to ingest it and other ways to receive the benefits from cannabis. So, um, yeah, I've been able to create my own products based uh, on some really great science. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, and I've always noticed also that there's um, there's an interesting dichotomy between uh, the cannabis industry and uh, the adult film industry. Uh, you know, we're both sort of we have a stigma uh, that's placed on us in a, in a weird way because lots of people obviously benefit from you know. Uh, you know, uh, adult films and people benefit from cannabis. Uh, but a lot of those same people will turn around uh, and sort of support that stigma that's against us. You know, in our case, you know, cannabis being illegal uh, and in the case of, you know, adult films, it, it's just, it's just always seemed to me that, um, you know, we share this kind of kinship of being kind of from the underground and kind of an outlaw culture. Uh, and do, do you notice that as well, that there's that, existing stigma? A hundred percent. You know, um, I think that if you speak to most people, they're going to tell you the same about porn and about cannabis that, um, maybe they don't partake in it themselves, but they don't necessarily see anything wrong with it if you use it wisely. But when it comes to lawmakers and funding and politics, it's like a whole different story for both industries. You know, there's so much red tape and so many loopholes that both of our industries have to jump through on a daily basis when most of what I feel is most of our citizens, they are okay with, you know, both the use of pornography and the use of cannabis together or separate as long as you use it responsibly. Right. Yeah. So it's really kind of like the politicians that are the hypocrites in this situation. Um, yeah. And it's interesting. Uh, the CBD products that you've put uh, just recently put out uh, as part of a self-care combo. Mm -hmm. um, and I think you have three products so far. There's a, a long day massage oil, uh, time mm -hmm. out bath bomb and long night lube. <laughs> yes, oh, so we've, got, we've got them right here. Yes, we got the um, long day massage oil and the time out bath bomb and then the long night sexual lubricants. Mm. <laughs> Perfect. Now, <laughs> now, uh, now what sets your products uh, apart? Because, you know, there is a difference between how CBD is extracted from the hemp plant. You know, I read uh, in your in your press release and, and some of your materials that um, that's important to you, you know, wh where those cannabinoids are coming from. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, I work with a company that gets their um, cannabinoids from Colorado. They're organic. They're, um, you know, they're uh, full spectrum. So I wanted to make sure also that my products were actually potent because I've noticed that like a lot of the CBD industry is not like well-regulated and you might purchase like say a bath bomb, for example, and it only has 10 milligrams of CBD in it. Well, 10 milligrams is probably not going to feel like much of anything, but mine has a hundred milligrams. 
and that's pretty good. Um, my, my, my bottles of my bottles of massage oil, it was important to me that they had 400 milligrams of CBD. Um, you know, a, a lot of times these, these products are not necessarily cheap, you know, and when somebody is looking to purchase them, they want to feel the effects and not just be sold like a snake oil. And if you don't have enough milligrams, you're not going to necessarily feel the effects. The, um, the sex lube I developed myself and it's got 200 milligrams of um, CBD in it. And it definitely makes a difference. I've used all these products. You can actually feel the CBD affecting your muscles and relaxing you like instantly. And it was important to me to be able to make sure that the consumers will be able to feel the CBD. I, I don't want somebody to buy it and be like, well, I don't think it worked. It was kind of hard to tell. Maybe I felt a little bit more relaxed. No, I want you to definitely feel relaxed. And I want you to feel this like soaking into your muscles and get a definite benefit from it. That's awesome. That's great. Um, now, where can people find out more information and purchase these products? Uh, you can go to sarahjcbd.com and um, we have a fact page if you want any like specific information about um, the way that the CBD is extracted or any kind of things about like the legalities or like will it get you high. We put all kinds of different questions in there and we also have a contact us page too. So if you have any other questions, we'll be more than happy to answer them for you. <laughs> That's awesome. And uh what about uh, Twitter and Instagram and, and all of that stuff? Uh, yeah. There are S-A-R-A-J-A-Y-C-B-D um, is the Instagram. And the products are all there. And I think, uh, you know, it's it's interesting because some people get in, you know, get their own, you know, CBD line. But it, it, you really know your cannabis and your uh, your science behind it. And I think that's great. I appreciate um, it. You know, it, it's just been a passion of mine for like such a long time. And um, I've been receiving the benefits of cannabis for, you know, decades. But somebody like my mother, who never really smoked and never really had cannabis before, she uses CBD all the time. And I think it's fantastic that this product can give people the benefits of cannabis without being against the law, without getting them high. And they can still, you know, be relaxed and just like enjoy life a little bit more, maybe pain free even, you know, if this can help you get off some of the other things that, you know, you, you take and you, you know, take for pain and that you take to relax, whether it's Xanax or alcohol or, you know, even Ben Gay and Icy Hot. Like if we can, you know, switch it a little bit over to something more natural like CBD, I think it's, it's beneficial to everybody. Yeah, absolutely. And it sounds like, uh, you know, beneficial uh, for intimacy as well. Uh, and I think, you know, you may have a unique perspective on that. What do you think about like cannabis for, you know, couples therapy and like intimacy uh, and things like that? You know, I think cannabis in general is a really good way to have both partners relax, you know, and to be able to just enjoy the moment a little bit more. But um, when you specifically break it down to like CBD and the CBD that's in my lube, um, I've been using it on cam and I have definitely noticed major differences in the way that I feel. And, uh, you know, I, I have a lot of people that ask me about that and I'm like, well, Sometimes a woman is not always as relaxed as she could be. And um, 
a relaxed woman makes for a better time sexually. It just does. So um, I suggest that you try the CBD and see how it works for you. The, the lube is, I've been very, very happy with the lube. To be honest with you, it's probably like my favorite product because it surprised me more than I expected it to. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's awesome. Thank you so much uh, for coming on the show. Uh, really appreciate hearing about your experiences with cannabis and CBD, uh, in particular in relation to, like you said, about anxiety uh, and sleeplessness. I think it's really important for people to know uh, that these products can help them uh, with insomnia. And, you know, people get really, um, you know, they end up using uh, really harmful sleeping pills. And like you mentioned, alcohol and, and all these things. And I think if they could transfer over to a more natural method, um, it would benefit their life and it would enhance their life, their intimacy and uh, their appreciation of everything. And, and, and so it's great that you're, uh, you have these products. Do you plan on uh, expanding the line at all? I would love to. We decided to start with these three products because I felt like it was a good crossover from my market. But um, if these products uh, end up being pretty successful, I would like to go into some other things. We've got our eye on um, a couple other products that, you know, I think would make a good fit for the brand, too. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, Sarah J. CBD at uh, Instagram and sarahjcbd.com, I believe, is mm -hmm. for the website. Yep. Although you can also go to sarahjselfcarecollection.com. Uh, and the products look amazing. Uh, I'm interested in trying them out. <laughs> Definitely Thank the bath you. bomb, for sure. Yes. I, I love the bath bomb. And, and 100 milligrams is a nice, uh, like you said, that's that's actually going to be uh, an, an effect that you can feel. Definitely, uh, so. definitely. Especially it's really good, you know, like if you've been on your feet all day, you're all stressed out, you just put the bath bomb in and then get ready and go to bed afterwards. And it's just perfect. Cool. Appreciate it. Well, do you have any last minute uh, grow tips for any of our, uh, our listeners, maybe that uh, you learned over the years uh, for mm -hmm. of growing cannabis? Um, two things that I always tell people that uh, like are new to growing. Number one, soil is most forgiving. Out of all the ways that people want to grow and all the like exciting science ways, soil is always most forgiving. And um, always cut your undergrowth. Like a lot of people that are new to growing, that's probably one of the things they just try to grow like the whole plant. And they're like, let's see what happens. But if you cut your undergrowth, then the buds grow up better up top. It's pretty simple. <laughs> nice. Awesome. Yeah. It creates more airflow too down down below in case uh, you have to deal with, you know, powdery mildew or any of those things, yep. the plagues of cannabis. But um, awesome. Well, thank you, Sarah J. Congratulations on your uh, AVN Hall of Fame uh, <laughs> uh, nominations and, 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 and all of that. And uh, really appreciate chatting with you about the CBD line and also just your experiences with cannabis. It's really important. Uh, for people to know that this is a healing flower that helps people and obviously helped you a lot. And um, yeah, good luck with the CBD brand and keep Thank up the great you. work. Thank you so much. I really appreciate being on the show. I hope you have a great day. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Thank you. All right, what a pleasure to talk to uh, Sarah J, uh, and Oops. especially uh, some interesting products there too as well. 
Yeah, no, really interesting. And I, I found it really interesting that, that she had been reading, you know, your articles in order to learn a little bit more about cannabis and cultivation. I thought that was really uh, something. Yeah, absolutely. I had no idea. So it was, it was, it was interesting to hear that, uh, that I had helped her along her journey uh, with cannabis. It's amazing. Yeah, for sure. And uh, very cool that she's like really embracing uh, cannabis and the CBD, um, you know, line. So definitely check all of that out. And we appreciate her being on the show. And we also uh, have an interview with uh, another uh, cannabis entrepreneur coming up here. Yeah, that's right. We have Mikey Steinmetz, uh, Michael Steinmetz from Flow Canna, an amazing uh, company in California that uh, basically helps the farmers of NorCal, um, you know, the famous growing region, to actually get their products to customers and keep that farming tradition alive. A lot of people, you know, worry about the small farmers and the craft cannabis uh, producers. And I think what Flow Canada does is amazing because it keeps that tradition alive uh, and makes it viable for them to continue growing the way they grow, which is very special and important. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we should also say, um, if you stick around through uh, the, the entire show at the end in the wrap, uh, Dan and I are going to tell you something that you don't know. So stick around for that. So... As you always say, without further ado, uh, what do you say we go to our interview with uh, with Flocana's Mikey Steinmetz? Let's do it. All right, you guys. I just want to talk really briefly about a wonderful company called Excelsior Extracts. It's our friends, the original Outcast, and. T-O-H, Excelsior is spelled E-X-C-E-L-S-I-O-R extracts. Uh, They have an amazing THC-infused pain rub, a lot of incredible products, but the pain rub is the most effective topical I have ever used. It's because Outcast herself is a patient and she needs very, very strong um, topicals. So she makes this THC-infused pain rub that absolutely works and takes away the pain so uh give them a follow on instagram at excelsior extracts or you can email them directly at excelsior extracts at gmail.com all right we are back and uh so excited to have michael steinmetz he is the ceo co-founder and Chief Servant Officer of Flow Canna, which is California's largest seller of sun-grown cannabis. Hi, Mikey. How's it going? <laughs> great. Great, ha- uh, great to have you. And uh, before we get into Flow Canna, tell us a little bit about yourself. You have an interesting uh, backstory. You, you, you grew up in Venezuela? Yep. Yep. I'm originally from Caracas, Venezuela. Uh, I was uh, born and raised there until I was about uh, 17 then I went to college, uh, ended up making my way up to uh, Carnegie Mellon University in uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. That was the first time I kind of made it out to the U.S. kind of permanently. Right. And is there a cannabis scene in, in Venezuela? Were you introduced to, the, <laughs> to it back then or it, later? It, well, it, it, funny you mention it. Uh, I mean, uh, culturally, in Venezuela, cannabis is very, very taboo. Uh, I mean, it's a, a kind of the highest level of penalty 
in, in terms of other countries that you see out there. So uh, it's not really prevalent in kind of mainstream culture. It's not spoken about. Uh, but I was very fortunate to be raised in a family where uh, cannabis was actually um, readily available. So uh, my, my parents, actually, particularly my mother, uh, she smoked, uh, she consumed cannabis uh, for a medical condition. So even before I was born. So always growing up, cannabis was just kind of mom's medicine. And in fact, I kind of always saw it with a very different light than some of my friends in, uh, in Venezuela. And uh, actually growing up, I actually never really consumed it myself in high school or college uh, because it was kind of always seen in that light. So I wouldn't say I got exposed to it culturally, but, but definitely within my own kind of four walls of my family. And uh, right. So then you came uh, came to the United States and um, you were basically an entrepreneur. You were working mm -hmm. in finance. Yeah. So um, I did a couple of things before kind of jumping headfirst into entrepreneurship. But I graduated from Carnegie Mellon as a mechanical engineer, uh, a double major in mechanical engineering and economics. So uh, after after kind of college and, and banking and I traveled for a bit, I made it back down to Venezuela. And uh, I knew I wanted to kind of start my own thing. Uh, I knew I wanted to kind of jump head first and, and, and kind of build value and create value for the world. And uh, I was kind of industry agnostic. I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. And in Venezuela, uh, with my friend, I was exposed to the food industry, uh, particularly this stevia sweetener. So stevia, kind of a low calorie, you know, or uh, natural kind of sweetener. It's kind of a substitute to Splenda and Sweet and Low and equal some of these artificial zero calorie sweeteners that we have in the world. And, uh, and we saw a unique opportunity. Venezuela is actually a, a culture where uh, the sweetener category is actually quite massive, despite, despite the tiny size of Venezuela. It's a country that's uh, it, it's a lot based on the Miss Universe culture. So it's very aesthetic culture. So cosmetics and dietary products are actually sell really well. So we found that category to be interesting. We thought the product was very novel. Uh, it didn't exist in Venezuela. So, uh, so we decided to, to, to start a business around it. So we built a brand. We built the packaging, the narrative, uh, the story. Uh, we found a third-party manufacturer in Colombia that would actually white-label the product for us. And then we launched it in Venezuela. And from that seed and that brand, uh, we built a nationwide uh, distribution company uh, where we uh, serviced the entire country, uh, every single nook and cranny. And then over four or five years, as Venezuela got a little bit more uh, politically uh, 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 difficult um, and challenged with, with the Chavez regime, uh, people started just being very skeptical of doing business with Venezuela, uh, changing our credit terms. So we actually had to pivot, and then we vertically integrated and became the factory in Colombia. So we ended up uh, producing a lot of the food products ourselves that we ended up in distributing in Venezuela. And I did that all the way up until 2012, uh, or sorry, the end of 2012, where we sold the business. And in 2013, I moved with my wife, Flavia, here to start in cannabis. Right, and to the Bay Area. And I can imagine that, uh, that you know, what you learned in, in the Stevia business uh, had some parallels to what you, you ended up doing uh, in, in, in the cannabis business as far as, you know, working with farmers and uh, and vertically integrating and that sort of thing. So tell me a little bit about the beginnings of Flow Canna and, and how you got involved in, in the industry. So, um, you know, when I first moved to California, my wife and I were, were committed to, uh, to, to build in this industry, to build in this space. You know, uh, a, a small piece of the story that I forgot to mention, as I was building in Venezuela from 2010 to 2013, I was uh, spending six months out of the year 
between San Francisco and Venezuela, kind of three months at a time. And during those, you know, three years of going back and forth, uh, what ended up happening was that I got exposed to the cannabis industry because I had my medical card. I would go to dispensaries and every single time I would come, I would see more brands on the shelf. I would see more dispensaries. I would just see the general momentum getting bigger and stronger uh, and ever present over the, the, that period of three years. So in 2013, when I came out here, I was committed to, to be part of the space. I uh, had read a lot about it. And obviously, I came from a, from a home where, where this was open. Uh, but I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, right? I'm not, I'm not a fan of like, uh, of, of, of business of like me too products. So just copycat products and, and really not adding value. I think business, uh, at its core is about, uh, differentiating yourselves and adding value. And, and if you add value, then kind of the money in the business kind of follows. So I spent a, a good amount of time with my wife, about a year and a half, just researching the space, networking, going to conferences, going to events, um, to Seattle, to Washington, to Oregon. And during that period, that research period, I was very lucky to uh, be given the opportunity to volunteer at a dispensary. And I volunteered at one of the uh, oldest and biggest uh, dispensaries out in the Bay Area, uh, where I proposed them on just uh, improving their operations, simplifying uh, their, their, their ecosystem, and I installed kind of a, a basic ERP software in place for them. So, you know, at that time, it was a, it was a very small dispensary you know, the size of a small medium Starbucks that was doing 80 to $100,000 a day. Um, so it was a $3 million monthly business just as a small retail store. They were doing a ton of volume, a ton of margin, and they had very little controls. So I came in to kind of help them through that process completely as a volunteer. And in exchange, I got to get exposed to all the different pieces of the supply chain and of the inner workings of the industry. So I went from purchasing to the inventory room to uh, customer service to packaging and uh, so on and so forth. And during that period, I connected with a broker in the purchasing room uh, where I just kind of used to overhear conversations and just kind of just kind of tracking what, what they would uh, do and talk about. And with this broker, um, uh, I became friends with him, you know, uh, over a couple of times that he visited, smoked a joint with him once or twice in the parking lot. And he actually was the one who uh, who for the very first time offered me, hey, let me give you a trip to your Emerald Triangle. You're in this discovery mode. And I'm sure you know about the Emerald Triangle, but you've never been to it. Uh, and it's true. At that time, I had never set foot to the Emerald Triangle. Obviously, you know about these legendary growing regions of Humboldt, Mendocino, Trinity counties, where there's been decades under prohibition of, you know, thousands and tens of thousands of farmers growing there under prohibition. But I, but I didn't know anything about it. So, you know, just kind of following on my curiosity, I, I kind of took the offer and I went up there. And while I was there, uh, he took me on a tour from several different farms from all the way up in Arcata and then all the way down through Mendocino, uh, through Laytonville, through uh, Ukiah, through Hoplin, and then on my way back down to San Francisco. Uh, and it was that trip and that uh, and those four days that uh, radically changed uh, my life and, and, and really my perspective on cannabis. You know, my, I had an entire paradigm shift of what cannabis could be and should be uh, when I visited those farms in the Emerald Triangle. And uh, the, 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 to get a little bit more specific on, on what the genesis was, you know, my, my, my only exposure to cannabis at that time were these, you know, indoor facilities in San Francisco and Oakland, you know, which is, you know, high intensity lights with the kind of a flimsy fan that you see in kind of movies with a kind of a, 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 a thuggish kind of vibe with the classic Rottweiler or the, you know, what's the other one, the Pitbull, you know, in, in the scene. So, you know, it was kind of, you know, 2013, 2014, you know, indoor cannabis in the Bay Area. And on my first trip to the Emerald Triangle, 
I had a, a total revelation and a kind of a juxtaposition of the realities of these farmers up in the hill. And it was for the very first time that I saw cannabis in its rightful place under the sun and in the soil. And not only were it grown just cannabis, these farmers had fully diversified farms. They had cabbage and carrots and tomatoes and cucumbers and celeries and sunflowers and strawberries and, and a whole suite of vegetable products and a fully diversified farm. And what was really fascinating is uh, that because of prohibition, you know, these farmers were not in the main towns and not in the main cities in the Emerald Triangle. They were kind of all up, up, up in the hills, right? They were, they were living in hiding, right, for, for multiple generations. So they had to develop fully off-grid lives with solar panels and rain catchment and these fully diversified farms to be able to feed themselves. And it was just this beautiful, colorful ecosystem that I was just captured by the instant I was there. And that I realized that, hey, if the whole world saw this image of cannabis, you know, they, they, they'd probably take a different look, right? It's not the, the, the kind of more criminal-like activity that we've seen in the movies. These are, these are real farmers and real stewards of the land that are ushering this plant in, 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 into our lives. So uh, I was enamored by this idea and I was enamored by this concept. And, and from there, you know, the, the idea of, of building the industry and I use the day, you know, day one from legalization, you know, carefully because, you know, day one of cannabis happened multiple decades ago. I mean, it happened millennia ago. But, you know, I, I always felt that the entrepreneurs and the business owners that were there from day one of legalization were going to set the course of this industry forever. Right. And, 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 and for us and for my wife and I, you know, it, it, it's very near and dear to, to, to the whole sustainability uh, on this world and on this planet, especially in this moment in time where we're living through this, you know, chaotic moment. You know, we're constantly reminding of how, uh, how we're all interconnected with each other and how we all depend on each other. And for me, I was like, hey, how many more industries, especially of this size, can we afford to bring forward into our planet uh, w without having it be sustainable from day one? Right. Like how, how much can we bring on to the same old, you know, how much can we still destroy in our planet? And, you know, the, 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 the phrase that I always use is, you know, if Tesla would have been created from from day one of the automotive industry, you know, perhaps we would have built an industry that wasn't so dependent on fossil fuels and on all the all the all the cement and asphalt and, and, and roadways and all the different things that we've built today. So, you know, that's kind of what what Flocana was really all about was like, how, how do we usher in the right industry from day one and, and kind of shape it from the beginning? And I felt like that honoring these farmers legacies and building a brand around that uh, was the first way to do it. And we've grown and scaled since then. Yeah, absolutely. Um... I think people's biggest fears of legalization uh, was that, you know, all these small farms and, and, and sort of independent, family-run, small-batch ecosystems would be overrun by corporations and these massive, you know, warehouse grows and, and all that. Mm -hmm. And if there's one thing I've learned, you know, over with 20 years at High Times and, and, and visiting all these grows, and I've seen you know, from, from the, you know, most sustainable outdoor to the huge, you know, uh, million square foot facilities in Canada, the, the, the quality of the cannabis just cannot compete. It's, it's, and it's more expensive to produce and it, it's made with, you know, artificial lighting, artificial, you know, air, uh, HVAC systems and, and, and carbon dioxide. I mean, it's just, it's absolutely, egregious uh and and un unnecessary because as you said you know the the sun is free and it's that great the great big grow light in the sky as we say um, totally. 
and and people's fears were that you know these these farms would be pushed out and that um, they wouldn't be able to compete. And I think one of the interesting things about Flocana is that it gives those farmers a platform to compete. You know, it, it's really important that people understand. You know, it, you know, indoor. It, you know, is is because is because of prohibition. I mean, we all hid right. our farms inside because we couldn't have them outside. But now is the time, you know, nothing beats the sun. So, you know, how does, how does Flo Canna um, find farmers and, 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 and are those farm, you know, how are those farmers vetted as far as will they fit into Flo Canna's um, program? I think you did hit a really good point that I think it's important that, uh, uh, you know, the, the audience really understands is, you know, indoor is, is completely a relic of, of, of prohibition. Right. Once prohibition comes online, farmers either go, you know, to hide up in the Emerald Triangle in the woods, you know, several hours away from cities and towns or they or they go indoor in warehouses. And there's not a single product in the world uh, that's grown indoors at scale. There's not a single agricultural product in the world that's grown indoor at scale. And today, I believe we have that misconception simply because in the last few decades during prohibition, the only, the only real feature that we had to determine good cannabis or bad cannabis is kind of the aesthetic and the look of the bud, right? Like we just, you just get it for a second, you look at it and you make a decision if it's good or not. So for the last few years under prohibition, you know, you've had farmers indoor that are growing with that kind of uh, controlled environment. And then the outdoor farmers, while it was still kind of, you know, uh, illegal, they were growing underneath the manzanita trees, right? Or underneath other trees that act like a canopy in the Emerald Triangle. So they got very little light. So the actual experience and the quality of that product was not great when you compared it to the indoor. Or actually just on the, on the look aspect was not great. So for a long time, for several decades, we kind of perpetuated this idea that indoor cannabis is better just because of the look. And to be honest, and to your point, Dan, um, over the last uh, few years, now that legalization is really upon us and farmers have gone out into the light, you can't compare the quality, right? And it's pretty simple. On an indoor plant, you're forcing the plant to flower every six weeks, right? And when you force it to flower, okay, it's like, it's like chickens that you're feeding with hormones in cages, right? A chicken that you feed with hormones in cages to get fat and fatten up quickly, it'll get there faster, right? But it won't have the nutritional value and it has all the dangers and all the problems that we've seen with, 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 you know, with using that. And you know, compare that to a happy, a happy chicken that lives outdoors and has its full cycle to experience, right? A full outdoor plant. The cannabis plant works perfectly in the Mediterranean climate, okay? Everywhere you see grape growing, you're going to see cannabis growing in the future. That's why Northern California is perfect because of its wine terrain, just like it's perfect for cannabis. And when you compare that, when you plant a seed in March, or call it April, when you plant a plant and you're growing it, you have an eight, nine-month cycle under the sun until October, November. You can't compare a six-week forced cycle under light with an eight- to nine-month cycle under the sun. The terpene develop, the cannabinoid development, the t- taste development, the nutritional aspect, the medicinal aspect is just simply uncomparable. So I just want to take a moment to just talk about that because I agree with you fully. And I, my hope is that over time, as consumers get educated, they'll prefer sun-grown, sustainable products, not only for their quality, but for what they're contributing to the environment, right? To your point, at the end of the day, whatever the consumers put dollars towards, that's how the industry is going to develop, right? If they all favor indoor cannabis, that's where all the players are going to go to. So it's important that consumers start learning about the differences and put their dollars where, uh, where they want to build this industry towards. So uh, for us, Flocana, the brand that we handle, 
at sources and exclusively from craft farmers from this Emerald Triangle region. So Mendocino, Humboldt, and uh, Trinity counties, okay? Uh, in this region, there's more than 53,000 cannabis farmers, okay, that have collectively produced, you know, 80% of the cannabis consumed nationwide. Northern California has powered the illicit market of the nation for decades, okay? Um, today, there may be somewhere between two to 3,000 farmers of those that are actually licensed, okay? So first and foremost, they have to have all their license and compliance documents, right? We can't even entertain a beginning conversation if that is not the case. Uh, and that's a very onerous process that's hurting the farmers a lot. Mm -hmm. so they need to have the, all their valid permits of the state. Once that happens, we have a dedicated farmer relations team. Our dedicated farmer relations team uh, has on-farm visits. Um, we lab test all of the products, right? We lab test for, you know, uh, it, it, it's pretty onerous, the testing that you have to do in California. In fact, I think the, 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 uh, the word on the street is like if any food and vegetable at Whole Foods would be tested to the same standards as you test cannabis, Whole Foods would not sell anything, right? The, the, the strict regulations that we have in cannabis from a mold perspective, pesticide, uh, chemical perspective is pretty strict, right? Which is awesome, right? We also want to be putting healthy products out there. I, th I think the testing is great. I just want to kind of make the point that it's super onerous. Um, the uh, farmers have the farm visits. We lab tested. We ensure that there's no heavy metals in the land, that there's no chemicals, no pesticides used during the cultivation season. And then also the potency matters very much in the marketplace. Okay. Today, there, unfortunately, there's a bias to higher THC products because a consumer doesn't know about the other 80 cannabinoids that exist. Um, and they are uh, very educated that THC is the, is the determining factor. So THC, unfortunately, is one of the stuff that we as a buyer have to, uh, uh, have to keep at a minimum level because we have to sell it into the market that for better or for worse, just has that, that lack of education. So on the farmer perspective, you know, we, we, we have more uh, inbounds than, than we can attend to, right? Uh, the sad truth that is, it is very challenging to be a small craft farmer in cannabis today, uh, especially in California. And there's an abundance of farmers and, and we make sure that we use, you know, recommendations, references, try to keep our ecosystem stronger by bringing people that, that recommend each other and then make sure they pass all the compliance testing and, uh, and uh, QAQC standards that we have in, in the business. Yeah. And, and, you know, you mentioned how difficult it is for the farmers. And I think without companies like Flocana, it's impossible. I mean, I don't think they could exist because, um, you know, they just won't be reaching the supply chain and they won't have the benefit of, you know, you guys being able to package and market and distribute their products. Do you envision that there will be, uh, you know, in a legal landscape, uh, appellations in the way that, you know, champagne uh, has to come from, you know, the champagne region? And they do that with cheese, they do that with cigars, pretty much any type of, you know, connoisseur product. Absolutely, Dan. And in fact, there's a couple of great organizations here in California. One of them is called Origins Council. Uh, that's really driving the Appalachian agenda, right? And uh, the unique thing about cannabis is that, for one, uh, there is so much biological diversity, each with so many different unique cannabinoid ratios. Uh, and these different ratios can treat different ailments, okay? And as it relates to your question around Appalachians, I've had stories of the same farmer using the same stable genetic literally moving that genetic that they've grown for generations on their land, maybe not even 30 minutes away, maybe on the other side of the hill that has a very different sun exposure, might be a couple hundred feet of, of altitude, and it has completely different experiences with that land, 
right? And what is what is what is incredible of this uh, Emerald Triangle region is really these pockets of unique microclimates. And the, 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 if you're southern facing or northern facing, you get a totally different sun exposure, different altitude. If you're closer to the coast, you have more humidity. If you're closer inland, you have hotter summers. So it's like all of these things have created unique genetics and unique pockets of things. And over time, I'm, I'm super excited for, you know, that's part of the things that we're doing. We're collecting a lot, of, a lot of data, right? A lot of data, a lot of strains, a lot of genetics that come from different regions. What, what cannabis grows where the best? And what I hope doesn't happen, though, even though I do appreciate Appalachians, is I hope we don't go the route of like monocropping, like we've done at every single other crop on this planet, right? Like when you talk about wine, you know, you talk about, you know, Merlot and, and Pinot and certain strains that are like, you know, very desirable. But like, you know, in the past, you know, we had, we had thousands of those grapes. We had thousands of corn, corn strains, too. Right now we have just one or two or three. So while I think the Appalachian story and the origin story is, is super important, I think it's important that as we grow and we scale, it doesn't happen like the way that we do it with uh, where, we, where we've done a big ag in the past. So the, you guys have a big announcement uh, that's just mm-hmm. being put out right now about mm-hmm. Flow Cannabis Co. Uh, and tell me a little bit about that and, and, and what, yeah. uh, what that expansion sure. means. Yeah, for sure. So when my wife and I started, uh, you know, Flow Kana, Flocana was really the physical manifestation of the first brand of our bigger dream of building a more sustainable industry. So for the last few years, you know, our go-to-market strategy has been Flocana, but we've since grown to have a statewide distribution company where we distribute other like-minded brands. We also have a co-packing, white labeling, manufacturing service at our at our Flow Cannabis Institute. We've got a 300-acre property with 200,000 square feet of industrial space where we're doing a whole suite of services and products for other brands, okay? So as, as our vision has scaled and our dream has grown, um, so has the need to change kind of how we think about ourselves and how we relate to each other. So Flow Kana, uh, tomorrow, the announcement is actually coming live. You guys get the benefit of, of hearing it a day before, is uh, – it's really a brand. It's a core to who we are. It's our flagship brand. It's, it's tied deeply to our identity. And, uh, but really, that was the seed that planted this vision for a more sustainable industry. So we have a series of other brands in our portfolio. The Roots brand, which is our you know, value brand, also sun-grown products, but at a value price, not so much the premium craft that we see. We also are launching uh, in a few weeks Caldera. Caldera is going to be our premium oil line. Okay, and all of these brands were after we're making the announcement to, to clarify to the world that all these brands are not owned by Flocana; they're owned by Flow Cannabis Co. And Flocana is just another brand in the portfolio. And as we scale and as we grow and as our dreams continue, you know, we might get into retail, we might get into hospitality, we might get into all, the, all these things that are not necessarily Flocana tied, but still tied to the to the idea of, of 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 this kind of business for good and building a more sustainable future. So, so that's really what our company is about, and, and this moment in time and this announcement is about uh, clarifying that evolution and that growth that we've experienced over the last few years uh, to really put the pieces in place at the right, at the right place. Awesome. Well, I really, as a, a consumer and a friend of uh, many of the farmers that you know, work with you, and, and uh, I, I just think it's really amazing and it's important um, that we have the, these alternatives to you know this kind of unsustainable uh, yeah. dispensary based kind of uh, indoor farming system, which just uh, I, I think again it's a relic of prohibition and it's unnecessary. Uh, 
one final question. What do you, what do you, where do you see the future uh, of uh, cannabis, you know, politically and, uh, you know, industry-wise? So um, that's a great question, Dan. And, and, and interestingly enough, uh, or, 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 or sorry, take, uh, taking a step back, we're living in very interesting times in our industry today. Um, you know, and I say this with absolute sensitivity and absolute uh, sadness for, for all the damage that, that Corona has, has caused and COVID has caused to the world and the death and the pandemic and the, the, econ- the, the economy. Like, you know, putting that aside, it, it's been devastating, you know, to, to our industry. It, it's actually been one of the biggest and most profound catalysts of our time. Right. We, we've gone from an illicit market five months ago to an essential service nationwide. In California, Gavin Newsom put us in the same level of protection as supermarkets, pharmacies, uh, gas stations, and the cannabis supply chain. And that's a profound statement and a profound moment, kind of changing the national and the global narrative around what cannabis is. We're an essential service. We're a medicine for people that people depend on us every day. And now you're having all the, the tailwinds of, 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 the, uh, of the elections, right? You're having two parties, right, that are, 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 are both having going to have to address this issue as well as the Black Lives Matter issue and the racial issue, which is deeply engraved. Uh, racism is deeply engraved in the history of prohibition and the war on drugs. So that issue that is very top of mind can also be resolved for undoing some of the damages that we've done through the war on drugs. And lastly, you know, the economy is, 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 is yet to see the consequences of, 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 of what happened to shutting it down for so long and, and in different moments and kind of disorganized uh, kind of the way it was done. Um, and they're going to need to create jobs. They're going to need to create tax money. So I think for, for, for the purpose of just being, just changing the national narrative for the, for the needs that the economy is going to need, both locally at the state and federally and nationally, and, and really for what it does for culture and for, and for the history of racism that needs to end on this, on this country for sure and on this planet in general, um, I actually feel that there's massive tailwinds behind the industry. I do believe that uh, we should be able to see at the very least in the next few years, safe banking pass and also interstate commerce and perhaps even the holy grail of federal legalization. I wouldn't put it past uh, another electoral year, uh, to be honest. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. And uh, as far as advice for the small farmer, just stick with it. Uh, jump through the yeah. hoops you need to jump through and eventually uh, we will uh, we will survive. I would say to the craft farmers, guys, you guys you guys built this industry. You guys more than anybody deserve a stage and a seat at the table. Know that today the regulations are the most restrictive that they will ever be. That's how regulation works. You put all the handcuffs and all the bells and whistles on it. And as you get public support and as the thing kind of rolls out in practice, you start peeling the layers. We change the tax system. We change the fee system. We add appellation. We start adding all these things. So know that today is going to be the hardest and that it's going to get incrementally better over time as regulation changes and forms. So my advice to them is stick with it. Build long-term, durable relationships with your partner brands, with your partner distributors, with your partner manufacturers. Do not try to quickly flip into the commodity bulk market. Build long-term relationships of value, right? If you're trying to do a quick win here and there, and you might need it to oxygenate your business, by all means do it. But try to focus on the long-term brand building and shelf building activities because the industry will be governed by the brands and by the shelves. And you need to make sure you have good partners and good relationships there. So 
get past the short-term pain and that this too shall be over soon. Yeah, yeah. And I guess for the consumers, you know, put your money where your mouth is, purchase exactly. purchase your products from companies like Flocana and not uh, Monsanto and Marlboro and exactly. <laughs> all the others. Exactly. Find out where your cannabis was grown, how it was grown, and by whom it was grown. Ask yourself those three questions every time you buy a product, because whatever brand and product you buy, you are incentivizing the more development of that exact supply chain. So it's important that you get aware of the awareness that not all cannabis is equal and that you need to know exactly where it comes from and by who and what's in it. Perfect. Let people know how they can find out more about uh, Flow Canna, Flow Cannabis Co., all of the uh, yep. brands and products. All right. Sounds great. So uh, in, uh, in, um, for Flow Canna, the brand-specific products, you want to go to uh, flowcona.com, okay? Flowcona.com, you'll share all of the brand, where you can buy it, where you can uh, uh, find it all over California. Uh, we also have a directed consumer delivery service also attached. So you can actually buy the product online. Um, as of tomorrow, because today it's actually not available, as of tomorrow, you're going to be able to go to flowcannabis.co. That's F-L-O-W, cannabis.co. Um, and there you, we have to have access to click on the Roots brand, to get on the Caldera brand, to also click on our super valuable partners that you mentioned, like Willie Nelson and Kikoko and Foria, all the other brands that our distribution uh, platform carries. You'll also be able to connect directly to them and to their products. So flowcannabis.co is the website that everyone's going to want to check tomorrow. Today, just go to flowcanna.com. Perfect. I really appreciate you uh, coming on the show, Mikey. Uh, Mikey Steinmetz of Flowcana. Thanks. Uh, and okay. we will be back with more Grow Bud Yourself. All right. Welcome back. And we are now into our cultivation segment. All right. And it has been two weeks since the last time we highlighted a strain, which of course means it is now time for... <laughs> it's been a fortnight. <laughs> it's time for Strain of the Fortnight. And this Fortnite strain uh, is an homage, actually, to Fromage. Ooh. And an homage to a previous guest of the show, uh, Milo from Big Buddha Seeds. Uh, just a few weeks back, we had uh, uh, Mighty Milo on the show mm -hmm. uh, talking about, you know, a lot of things, but mo a lot about the cheese because that was really, uh, you know, a namesake uh, strain and a very much, uh, you know, put them on the map. Um, so for the 10th anniversary of that groundbreaking win uh, in 2004 uh, and 2005, uh, in 04 it won in the coffee shop category and 05 in the seed company category in Amsterdam for cannabis cups, uh, you know, uh, Milo decided to celebrate that 10-year anniversary by creating a funky new cheese. Um, so he took that famous female cheese clone, uh, Exodus Cheese, I believe, in the UK, uh, hit that clone with pollen from a clone that was forced to reverse to a male, uh, producing a pungent new cheese 2.0 uh, that improves upon the original. So uh, another thing people are always looking for is pure indicas. Uh, or at least close to pure indicas. And this is one of the closest things you're going to get. Uh, it's that original Afghan um, hash plant genetics that uh, is so well known. And 
for this one, it's interesting because even though it's a it's a you know an almost pure indica, it has unusually thin leaves and a kind of a lighter lime green color. So that just goes to show you that the whole indica sativa thing is a little bit of a you know an oversimplification. Um, the buds of this cheese 2.0 grow compact and tight. Um, they reveal their Afghan origins in that unmistakable scent and taste. It's like hash. Uh, it's very spicy, pungent, and just incredible. And uh, as far as the effect, uh, it's a really powerful narcotic indica body stone. So even though it kind of has the look a little bit of a sativa, it uh, really helps people that are suffering from insomnia, uh, reveal, uh, relieves deep muscle aches uh, and body pain, and really just aids in people sleeping and pain relief. So um, the lineage is the original UK uh, Big Buddha cheese clone, which is that uh, that Exodus cheese that he made so famous, uh, crossed with the original Big Buddha cheese reversed clone. So it's just cheese times cheese. Uh, flowering time is eight to nine weeks. And you can find it at BigBuddhaSeeds.com. All right. Wow, that's a great strain of the Fortnite. Okay, and um, at this point in the show, we give people a uh, a little bit of advice that will help them with their garden and help them grow better cannabis. So uh, what do you have for us this week? Okay, this week I would like to talk about neem oil. This is a uh, natural way to, you know, use pest control, uh, but... It really, uh, you know, people don't quite know how to emulsify the neem oil and how to properly uh, use neem oil. So basically, uh, if you're in cold areas, uh, neem oil is almost solid. You know, it's like a thick kind of waxy thing. Um, And if you want to spray as a foliar preventative um, or, you know, even for occasional flare-ups, if you have uh, mite populations that you're trying to deal with, um, you need to... But get the right neem oil and properly emulsify it and properly spray it onto your plants. So um, first you want the right neem seed oil. Uh, There's a lot of products out there that aren't quite the real deal. A lot of them are already diluted with other products. Um, So I would go with Dynagro. Uh, They make a a great oil. It's natural. It's free of additives. Um, And you're going to need some type of an emulsifier as well. Um, there's silica additives that you can use, uh, horticultural soap, um, which is basically also, you know, in a pinch, uh, you could use dish soap as long as it's natural. Um, and you need to do all of this, uh, before you mix it into the warm water. So the first step is pour one and a half teaspoons of that pure neem oil into a cup, uh, and add a half a teaspoon of your emulsifier. Uh, so one and a half teaspoons of neem oil, half a teaspoon of emulsifier. Uh, Dynagro actually also does make a, a great product uh, as an emulsifier, uh, which is called Protect, P-R-O-T-E-K-T. Uh, but you can use dish soap, like I said, in a pinch, as long as it's natural dish soap, nothing uh, scented or, or chemical. Uh, after some stirring, add stir that mixture together and then add that mixture to a quart of warm water, okay? You don't want it to be hot, uh, but you do want it to be warm. So I would say around 75 to 80 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, Some people like to use a blender to smooth it out, but you can really just sort of shake it around uh, inside your your spray bottle. And then when you're spraying, 
You just have to be sure to spray on the tops and the undersides of your leaves for full co coverage. And it doesn't hurt to spray uh, on the top of your uh, your growing medium as well because a lot of times insects will bury their eggs in there or they'll hide in there while you're spraying the leaves and then try to come back to your plants so uh, be very thorough uh, and get that neem oil on there and then you know eventually you're going to want to use some plain water and rinse that neem oil off but let it do its job uh, give it you know a few hours uh, on your plants and then you know you can rinse that off as well with just plain uh, ph balanced water all right very good Thank you for that grow topic. What do you say we take a couple of questions from our listeners here? Sounds great. All right. Uh, we're a little short on time, so we're just going to do a few here. But let's start off with Chad, who has a question about cloning. And Chad writes, uh, Hi, guys. Thank you so much for an awesome show and the help you provide. I wonder about cheating a little here. Uh, what about the possibility of taking clones from the top of the plant and also making that the second round of topping? So I have topped my plants once already, and they have recovered, and now I'm ready to clone. So I'm wondering about taking clones from the very top instead of near the bottom. Uh, what would you say to Chad? Yeah, I mean, it's perfectly all right. In fact, you'll probably end up with a healthier clone if you do take it from the top uh, of your plants. Uh, the important thing is to do this in the vegetative stage. Uh, once your plants have started flowering, you don't want to do any topping, and you certainly don't want to root uh, clones of flowering branches. It's just too much of a pain in the ass. The only time I ever recommend that is to save a strain from being lost forever. You know, then in that case, you can you know root a flowering cut, um, reveg it, veg it out, and and take a cut of that and start a new mom. Uh, but other than that, flowering plants, trying to root flowering plants is, is a nightmare. And then bringing them back into veg and all the, the trouble that you have to go through uh, doing that. So as long as you're in the vegetative stage and you're topping the plant, uh, it, it's great to take that top and, and root that clone and have that be the next round of plants. Uh, I've heard of people doing this over and over and over. Um, people talk about genetic drift uh, happening when you do that. And the only way that's going to happen is if there's damage to the plant, some type of systemic uh, or endemic kind of uh, damage to the cell structure. Uh, you can also, you know, be transferring clones. Uh, I mean, uh, pests with those clones as well. So if your plants are have some type of pest and you take a clone, the clone will, will likely have the same pest. Uh, we've seen that happen a lot with spider mites and you know, uh, aphids and things like that. So, uh, but as far as, you know, I don't consider it cheating. And again, I, it's, I don't consider it genetic drift. I consider it, uh, kind of a systemic drift that happens, uh, when a plant just gets weaker and weaker over time, uh, based on its environment and not actually based on any kind of genetic, uh, problem. It's a clone of a clone of a clone of a clone. It should be an exact, uh, duplicate, but if the clone or the mom or the plant suffers from some type of damage, uh, that damage will also be reflected in the future of the clone uh, if it's systemic. Now, there's ways to deal with that as well when you use uh, tissue culture to bring it down to basically like the cellular level and come back out. So if you're trying to save a strain, you can do that as well. Um, that's a bit more complicated. It involves uh, agar in a very sterile environment and things like that. It's basically micro-cloning. Um, but yeah, feel free to do uh, cut, take cuts of your vegging plants and use those as your clones. All right. 
Uh, thank you for the question, Chad. We hope that helps. Uh, let's move on to Alex, who writes, uh, Hey Mike, hey Danny, loving the show so far. Uh, I've heard talk about doing a flush at the end of their run to help clean out the plants. Do you recommend this? And is doing a flush something that applies to organic growing or just synthetic? Um, yes, uh, flushing does apply to organic growing and synthetic growing. Um, the other thing is, you know, not every grower flushes, and that's uh, not a great thing if they overfeed. But if you feed properly, um, your flush shouldn't be super drastic. The problem is uh, most people overfeed their plants. Uh, and then they they flush for a week or two at the end, and it's not enough to get rid of a lot of that um, built up uh, salts and, and and minerals that are in their plants. So, I, you know, my recommendation, as always, if you listen often, is feed lightly uh, and still flush. You know, those last two weeks, you want to see the the color fade. You want to see the the, the leaves, um, you know, turn lighter yellow, uh, lighter green. I'm sorry. Um, and even, you know, approaching yellow, some of them, and, and some of them will turn to fall colors. Uh, and that's a good sign that, you know, you're pulling some of those um, excess nutrients out of there and some of that chlorophyll. And it, it just helps uh, with burnability. It helps with uh, the flavor and the terpene profile of your plant uh, being uh, at its utmost. And so, you know, flushing is basically using plain water instead of plant nutrients and for the last two weeks of, of a plant's uh, flowering cycle. A lot of times what happens is people don't quite know when to start flushing because they don't know that they're two weeks away from harvest. And so, uh, you know, you really have to get to know a strain pretty well to be able to determine, okay, I'm probably going to be harvesting in about two weeks, so I should start the flush now. Um, don't always go by what the seeds, you know, seed company tells you if it's a 60-day strain because um, different things can uh, make that longer or shorter. Different phenotypes can can you know finish at different times so uh learn your plants learn when to start the flush feed lightly and uh you know organic and synthetic particularly needs flushing because those are much stronger typically than most organic newts um but either way you know definitely flush with plain water uh, it'll it can't hurt it will only help all right um thank you alex hope that helps you out there and uh we have time for one more so why don't we go to uh, Austin Powers, who writes, uh, Hi, Danny and Mike. Uh, thank you so much for featuring my question on the show. Um, listening to the show on Friday and hearing my question answered by you guys was so awesome. Thanks again uh, for the awesome answers to my questions. Couldn't be more pleased with that advice. Um, and Austin writes, I was wondering if you think three plants in three-gallon bags in the 2 by 2 tent is too crowded new growth seems to be all right still and i was curious if you think defoliation could help uh thanks so much so what would you say to austin okay um what i would say is three plants in three gallon bags uh in a two by two tent isn't too crowded unless you you veg those plants for too long so uh typically i tell people you know, have a veg time of approximately a week per gallon of size. So, you know, in a three gallon bag, I would veg three, maybe four weeks uh, in order to get, you know, the right size plants. Um, in a two by two tent, it's pretty tight. Uh, the plants are going to grow. Uh, so you want to train them as well. You want to fill up that two by two canopy with tops. So 
training the plants is great. Uh, defo defoliation helps if you defoliate the lower branches. Uh, it allows for more airflow um, underneath the plants, and, and, and that, that'll protect your plants from things like powdery mildew as well. But um, like I said, if, if you have three plants in three-gallon bags and you veg those plants for two months, uh, they will get too crowded because the, you, there's just too much growth there. Um, so you have to tailor it to the size of your tent and to the size of the plants and how much time you have uh, for vegging um, before you induce flowering. So my recommendation is uh, veg those plants three to four weeks in those three-gallon bags and then instantly flip your light cycle to 12 hours on, 12 hours off, and begin the flowering process. Uh, train the plants as much as you can to fill up that two by two space. Uh, I would also even recommend getting some type of a, a trellising, you know, two by two trellising system so that you can really train the, the branches into those spaces. Uh, and you'll get a nice yield out of that two by two tent um, with your three plants in your three gallon bags. Uh, but you definitely don't want that veg time to extend, you know, to two, three months and have uh, root bound plants um, that are you know, filling the tent before you even start flowering. Very good. All right. Uh, thank you, Austin. And thanks to everybody who uh, wrote in. If you have a question that you would like answered on this show, uh, send it to us. You could reach us by email. Uh, it is info at growbudyourself.com. Uh, you could also get us on socials, on Patreon, YouTube. Send us your questions. Dan will answer them on the show. What do you say we take a little break, come back and wrap this up? Let's do it. All right, you guys, I think it's time to wrap up the show. I want to say thank you, as always, to DJ Jacques Winstrong. Thank you to Sarah J. Check out those CBD products. Um, thank you to Mikey Steinmetz and Flo Canna. Um, thanks to Excelsior Extracts, uh, Vapor.com. Remember, GBY gets you 15% off of anything at vapor.com um, and check out Excelsior extracts on Instagram and especially their THC infused pain rub. Um, yeah. What a show episode 19. Very interesting. Yeah. It was like a cool mix of, you know, of different things and Absolutely. a lot of fun, a lot of information for the people. So we hope you guys enjoyed it. Indeed. And you had mentioned something about, uh, telling people something they don't know yeah so if you guys stuck around through the whole show here in the rap uh we're gonna tell you stuff that you didn't know so what do you got for everybody dan <laughs> okay well it doesn't necessarily have to be stuff you don't know about us but mine is something people most people don't know about me and it's that um my first published work in a cannabis magazine or pretty much published in anything uh was was in cannabis culture magazine uh for out of Canada years and years ago, I wrote a couple of limericks that got published in limericks. Yeah. Really? Cannabis limericks. Yeah. You want to hear them? I do. Yes. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, let's see. It seems there's an indica craze. I search for sativas for days though. I'll smoke what I've got. My most favorite pot is a long flowering version of haze. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> and then the other one, uh, was uh, a secret I'd like to unleash. That goes back to the days of Ganesh. Leaf trimmed from your flowers has wonderful powers when sifted and pressed for hashish. 
Oh, wow. There you go. My <laughs> yeah, goodness. I think I want a free pack of seeds. <laughs> oh, a laureate of cannabis over here. That's, That's amazing. Right. <laughs> I See, that's something that I didn't know either. That's crazy. Wow. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so they printed that in the magazine, and I think I got a pack of seeds or something in the mail. Uh, so thank you to uh, Mark and Jody over at uh, Cannabis Culture. Um, that's something most people don't know about me. Yeah, that that is that is wild. I did not know that. Yeah, um, I'm guessing that would have been around 96, 97, maybe 98, right around those times. I was at Headcase. So I, I, it didn't say Danny Danko. It said Danny the Hempster. Danny the Hempster. <laughs> the Hempster. Is that like the... Um, is that the byline that you went with before Danny Danko? Um, just, just that one time. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> just that one time. Uh, I think, you know, I, at the time I was Danny the Hempster working at Headcase Hemp Hats. And so, yeah. Very interesting. All right. Well, mine, uh, you know, not nearly as fascinating as that. But um, did you guys know that there is a bridge in Scotland where dogs are routinely committing suicide. You probably didn't. Uh, it's called Overton bridge in Scotland. And for some reason, uh, a number of dogs go on this bridge and feel the overwhelming, uh, desire to end their lives and they jump off of it. Uh, so <laughs> researchers have been looking into this and they think it could have something to do with an optical illusion or perhaps a mink urine, which apparently drives dogs just wild. But yeah, check it out. It's called Overton Bridge in Scotland, and it 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 makes dogs off themselves. Wow, that yeah. is actually fascinating. It's fascinating, but it's not as uh, as uplifting a story as the cannabis limericks. My goodness, right. it's a maybe a downer way to end the show. Yeah, it was. I should have gone first. <laughs> Um, well, okay, but if you guys have something that you don't think we know, please do send it to us. We'd love to hear it. Uh, you can get us at info at growbudyourself.com. Also on socials, Patreon, YouTube, and all of that. So, yeah. Right on. Yeah. I have to mention, a couple of weeks ago, I did recommend watching uh, the Barcelona-Bayern <laughs> soccer match. Well, Bayern ended up uh, whooping Barcelona something like 8-2. to two. Uh, I believe uh, it's almost embarrassing to even say that. Um, and now Messi wants out of Barcelona, and it's no. a whole big thing. And uh, you know, that's the heartbreak of uh, you know following sports and and having favorite players and things like that. But hopefully, you know, what I'm hoping is he'll end up at, at Manchester City. Ronaldo will come back and play at uh, United, and they'll have one last big hurrah before hopefully Messi comes and, and plays at Manchester City affiliate. Uh, New York City Football Club right here in New York City uh, as, you know, his career winds down and I can actually go and see him play uh, once in, or twice in my life, which would be wonderful. Um, How old is Messi at this point? I think he's 33. Oh, that's not that old. I, I feel mean, like I've been hearing about him for like 30 years or something. So <laughs> well, I mean, he young. was a young, he was a phenom when he was young. Right. So, you know, he started pro, I think, 17, 18 years old uh, at Barca and immediately uh, made a, a huge impact. But uh, I just wanted to throw that out there. It was, <laughs> it was rough. It was rough to watch uh, Bayern win uh, and, you know, Barcelona lose no, you, so you handily. can't win them all, man. Exactly. And he's won quite a few. So That's true. Well, there you have it, you guys. Episode number 19. 
uh, let's put it in the books. <laughs>